0: This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 554, A Conversation with Jed Winnick. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 554. It's my conversation with Judd Winnick. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to thank some people who submitted questions for the interview. Um, from the Marvel Masterworks Forum, I had uh, some people submit some questions. So I had Laser Beat. I want to thank him for his questions. Mr. Raffles, uh, Sammy Murky, uh, The Intruder, Chivius, Mr. Mariona, three um i think that's everyone and i also had uh some additional questions from my co-host in the past paul Scores, uh as well as uh, uh there was at least a comment from curtis finley from the epic marvel podcast i want to thank him for submitting that as well it was a very fun conversation uh i will apologize in advance uh in the early part of the interview uh there's two brief moments where my son makes a quick appearance because he wanted to uh i had told him as a, as a backstory, I had started uh, reading. Uh, i had read the High Low books that uh, John has been working on for the last few years, which we mentioned extensively throughout the interview. Um, and the the most recent one, Book Four, just came out last month. So we had recently been reading Book Four. Uh, he's enjoyed the first three books, and I had been telling my son. And in fact, in a previous episode, I can't remember the number now. Um, he, I think it was like two sorry, 546 or something like that, I had mentioned to him, oh, I'm going to talk to the guy who wrote and drew this. And he's like, oh, that's cool. So I'm in the middle of the interview and my wife walks down with my son and you can kind of hear in the background that someone's whispering to me as I'm trying to talk to Judd. And uh, he's like, because he wanted to say hi. So I'm like, okay, so he wanted to say hi to Judd, but um, if anyone has uh, a young child, especially a -a four-and-a-half-year-old who's ever had a young child, um, you know that sometimes at the end of the day, just before they go to bed, they get a little wired. So they get a little silly. Um, So what normally might have been like, oh, hi, was him kind of being a little bit more high-strung and being a little loud into the microphone. So I do apologize for that. Um, And then uh, he... As all kids are wont to do when it's bedtime, you don't want to go to bed, so you run downstairs and you make a loud noise. Uh, it's unfortunate if your if your father's actually recording a podcast at the time and is in the middle of trying to get answers out of a you know a, someone who's who's. Uh, fortunate enough to have a conversation with and an interview with so uh there's a little it's a little loud at that times but um uh, i always believe on keeping the recording raw and there's still some stuff happening so it's hard to kind of cut around it um so i do apologize that it's a little loud in those those brief moments otherwise i think it's a great chat i had a great time talking with judd um he was actually very generous he's like oh i know i could come back for a little bit more i'm like you know what? like i feel like i couldn't just couldn't just speak to him for a few more minutes i'd want to talk to him even more because he was just so many great stories and so much amazing stuff that he's written that I could literally have just spent the entire hour and a half or hour 15 minutes or however long it was just talking about Excels or just talking about Green Lantern or just talking about Batman or just talking about Hilo again. And so hopefully next year I'll, I'll have Judd back on the show when uh, the next uh, the fifth book of Hilo comes out and uh, I'm really excited for that. So anyways Uh, You did not come here to listen to me preamble about my son and recording a podcast, Uh, so let's just jump right in, but before we do, you can email me at commashenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for uh, downloading and listening to this episode, and let's jump right into the conversation with Judd Winnick. Judd, welcome to the Commerce Shenanigans podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Um, Excellent, sir. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, it's a it's a big thrill of mine to be able to actually talk to you on the show, and there's a lot of things I want to ask you about. But uh, first and foremost, I actually want to talk to you about Hilo, um, which is your current book series that's been coming out. So the fourth volume just dropped, I guess, just last month, right in January. Yeah. So Indeed. this is uh, first of all, I love the series. I've been I've been reading it with. I have a four and a half year old, so uh, we've been reading. We read all, through through the first three, and we just got uh, finished the fourth one. So. First of all, as a, as a father, thank you for putting out such a great product that I can enjoy with my son.
1: I can say, honestly, it's my pleasure.
0: <laughs> and uh, where, where did this c- kind of concept come from, and how did you kind get hooked up uh, to actually do a, a book series like this? And did it start with kind of a deal for one, or was it always meant to be a multi-volume series? I'm really curious how the genesis of it came about.
1: Well, it's is at this point, this story is kind of becoming an old chestnut of mine, but it <laughs> has the benefit of being true. Um About five years ago, my son, when he was about seven, was finally taking a huge interest in superheroes and uh, had more or less learned, you know, for a long time that I had, you know, been writing superhero comics for like over a decade. Uh, So he started fishing around and he wanted to read some of my books. Literally, he was asking, you know, can I read – some of your Batman comics. And I'd tell him, Oh no, no, you may not read my Batman comics. Uh, <laughs> you know, my Batman comics are, uh, well, they're for older kids, like teenagers and, and grownups. They're really not for a seven year old. So we started hunting around for a series that would be really good for him. And the one that I landed on that I thought was good was bone, you know, Jeff Smith's bone. Oh, of course. So I gave him all nine volumes and he plowed through them and went bananas. Just <laughs> loved it. Um, just loved it and with that I dropped Jeff the line I told him my son just went crazy go nuts bananas for bone and Jeff being Jeff said that sounds great you know what you guys sit tight I'm gonna send you something and sure enough a couple of weeks later in the mail we got a gigantic box full of bone merchandise oh wow and I mean I mean everything you know it had action figures stuffed animals t-shirts, hats, calendars, out-of-date calendars. I mean, just like <laughs> tons and tons of stuff. And my son just lost his mind and became a Bone Superfan. You know, he's just got all his all his Bone stuff in the t-shirt and the calendars. And he's taking his Bone action figures and having to fight with the Star Wars figures. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just like full Superfan. And me, I kind of got jealous. <laughs> because, you know, I'm a cartoonist. And I figured... I should be able to make a story that he likes as much as he likes Bone, so that's when I started, you know, sat down and tried to figure out. I should be able to do an all ages series, and it it kind of um, some some of this I'm speaking in hindsight, some of it I was aware of at the time, but it kind of called together everything I did, you know, I. I didn't. I didn't realize this until after the fact. But I, I'm a cartoonist, and, I, and what I always wanted to do when I was a kid was uh, comic strips. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do a daily strip, and I, I did one for about four years. And this was very much like coming full circle. This was, you know, doing this all ages action adventure story um, is kind of like going back to comic strips. I mean, I'm writing and drawing it. It has lots of humor. It's drawn the way I draw, which is kind of like you know, you know, Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbesish. You know, Sparky Schulz or. or Bill watterson ish but it's still a big old action adventure. Which I did my ten thousand hours on on superhero books, so this was this was something of a second nature. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm, I'm making it sound like it, it happened this quickly, but it didn't. I you know I had one false start, and then I started over, and then just sat down and for a year and a half just did a book. Um, and then uh, you know, the very sexy and exciting part is my my literary agent took it out to publishers. And this small independent publisher, Random House, uh, took interest <laughs> in it.
0: <laughs> now, when now originally, when they again, you had a finished product that you brought to them, like it was always yeah. book one.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was high low book one ended in kind of a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a series, um, and they initially, um, you know, signed us me up for a three book deal.
0: Now, what was it like to kind of be – when you got to the end of the three-book deal, was it very much like a certain we're definitely going to get more or was that kind of uh, an interesting feeling of are they going to pick this up for more?
1: No, there was really no tension. <laughs> By the time the second one was coming out, they were firming up a contract for the for the next bunch. I mean that's that's – Kind of the way it works like the first book came out did very well and by the time that we were you know into the second book about to come out then they started you know let's talk some turkey about the remainder of the series I mean they knew at this point that I you know I, I had a certain number of books in mind for just this first arc of hilo and then wanted to do more um, so you know when everybody's happy no one waits around mm-hmm. it's, it's just it's one of those things where you don't sweat it out too much. If it does lousy, then there's a certain amount amount of sweating it out. There's you know, I'm I'm with that. I'm ridiculously grateful that it has worked out. That people like it as much as they do. Because mm-hmm. um, I I love doing it. I really do. There there's it's it's barely work. It's not in the sense that. Um, you know what's the worst thing I have to do like I don't really like erasing my pencils you know off the inks <laughs> besides that everything about else about it is really just joy I just really love doing it I'm, I'm very lucky
0: how did you guys kind of decide on I guess it's basically come out one a year now is that the kind of the schedule
1: yeah I mean the first three books were every nine months and that was because I had about a year lead on it um, and um, I probably could do it a little bit less than that but when when the book when the books come out, I go on a book tour and I lose a few months doing that stuff and you know general life stuff. But um, I'm pretty comfortable with about a book a year, which okay. um, from my other cartoonist friends, I'm finding out that that's pretty quick.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And um, and you find – like what's the deadline kind of like to be able – knowing that you kind of have more or less like a firm like it's definitely coming out next year. What is that like in terms of a motivating factor?
1: It's – I would say it would be harder if I was – you know, well, I'll say this that the uh, um, the first big story arc um, for the Hilo series, which is, you know, this, this, it's kind of turning out to be Hilo's origin story where we learn mm-hmm. where he's from and who he is and why he's here and he's fighting a big bad guy named Razor Wark. All that wraps up in the sixth book. And then we'll start with an entirely new story for book seven and on. Um, heading towards book six, is not without its challenges but I know where we're going so you know with each successive book I, I you know I know where the story is pretty much gonna go so it I the deadlines aren't I mean the deadlines are you know you know I'm on a deadline right now and it's getting a little brutal because I have to ink a whole lot just so we can make sure to make our publishing day but I'll be fine it's not it's not crazy Um
0: mm-hmm. Uh sorry to mm-hmm. cut you off just for a second. My uh my four four and a half year old has wandered into the room and he, he knows that I was gonna be talking to the person who makes hilo and he just wanted to say hi. That's
1: totally cool. I was about to say that's either feedback or a cute small child. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, do you like hilo?
0: I do you like hilo, Zach? I make
1: like hilo. <laughs> <laughs> What's Thank your favorite part, buddy?
0: What's your favorite part? Toe. Oh, the toes? Yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of robotic <laughs> toes. <laughs> I think the one of the. I think. I can't remember which book it was. I think it was book two when Hilo comes back and he has the, the toe flies through the portal. My, my son loved that.
1: Oh, awesome. Thank but, no, you. Was head was flying through the oh, the head
0: robot. was flying through the portal? Okay. I like that part too. You like that part too? Well, thank you so it's much a, for coming it, to say it, hi, buddy. I like
1: the said hi. Ah! I like that uh, <laughs>
0: Yes. That's what he does. Okay, buddy,
1: let's thank go. Zach, thank you for proving my point. There was, okay, someone see. had raised a question. Like, would it be bing. freaky when his head comes flying uh, out? Would kids be freaked out by that? I go, it no, I don't can't. think so.
0: <laughs> no, kids thought it was no, funny. No, he thought it was awesome. Zach, say oh, goodbye. That's We're going to go back upstairs. Zach, that's say goodbye.
1: Right? Say bye. Wow. Okay,
0: okay. you're so silly. He's let's being silly now. Dinner.
1: Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't apologize. This is totally, totally cool. But yeah, an I, I, chance. I had to pull my daughter off uh, my computer. I was inking, and she was she was playing a game on here. I said, "It's like, oh, you gotta get off there." I thought it was. I said, "I, I thought I, I really thought it was three thirty for some reason." I thought I had another half an hour. I said, "You gotta go." Oh, can I play on my iPad? Like, yes. Dad needs to do an interview. Go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've uh, in the past, I've, I've had podcast interviews where I remember when he was younger. He was like maybe two, and he would wander downstairs when he's supposed to be napping and i'd be like get out of here and he'd be like i just want to say hi and i'm like but at least you he he's he's read your work he likes it so at least there's more of a connection there no
1: i can tell you you know a lot of times people will bs he's not he totally knows the book it's 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 awesome
0: well and again i I appreciate it because as a comic book fan being able to share something all ages with my son is a big deal and something that's not over his head whereas i think Bone might be slightly above a 45 year olds, but Hilo's kind of actually perfect. Like, he, he gets it. He gets what's going on. And uh, as I said, we just finished book four literally today. I was like, I want, I want to make sure we're done, but we were doing a chapter every day. And, um, yeah, no, it's been great. Oh, thank you. So I, I really appreciate it. Again, being able to share something that's still comic booky, but still has its own rhythm. And, again, it's very funny.
1: Thank you. I mean, that sort of, for me, that checks all the boxes both, you know, Artistically and emotionally, (laughs) I wanted I wanted to do a story that felt like a real comic book story, a real action adventure, Um, because you know to to crap on a lot of you know other quote unquote all ages books, which wind up being just for kids. I think they missed the point of what it is to actually. You can tell a story that happens to be all ages and and be funny Mm -hmm. without it being sort of trite or silly or you know. Oh, no, you know, someone got hit in the face with a pie. You know, it's, it's like, it, doesn't ha- it doesn't have to be, you know, brutally silly. Um, it can actually have weight. It can actually be like a, a real, real story. I mean, I, I aim for kind of the same tone that a Pixar movie would have. Mm. I would want parents to enjoy it just as much as kids. And I, I try. I've been impressing upon my adult readers now and again who keep asking, you know, "Are you come? Oh, you can do superhero comics again?" It's like I am doing a superhero comic, and I'm not. I'm really not being facetious. I, I you know, if you guys actually read it, I think you dig it. Especially now that we're kind of getting down to it. Now that mm-hmm. as as the story progresses, it's a little. We're getting a little more into the nitty and gritty of it. Um, that you know the story. Um, well, yeah, for lack of a better words,
0: it's, it's progressing. things are happening to the characters. We're playing for keeps for sure. Huh? we well, well, even and the last the last you know, few the lots
1: last of few, jokes for the
0: kids <laughs> the last few books, the um I mean, especially books three and four, like you had real cliffhangers, like they were actually an emotional cliffhanger, like I was like, well, now what like like they're, <laughs> they're big deals, and again, you're expanding the cast, which is nice as well, but you know you start off with this kind of core group, and it's starting to get bigger, and things are getting bigger and more exciting and a little bit more. You know, superhero way, uh, especially in book four, but um, it's still it's still the same book. It's just it's getting bigger and grander and more fun.
1: Thank you. I mean, that's that is absolutely the goal. I never want, um, I never want to become too serious. I, I don't mind it having more and more tension, but there still always has to be a way to find humor in it. Um, and regardless of how how dire things get, um, I'm always hoping that we can still find the jokes. Uh, it's That is probably the biggest, not hurdle, but the thing that I set up for myself. It's like, yeah, I don't, you know, without getting too much into the fourth book, um, it was going to be very serious. There's monsters coming to the ground and this and that. But when I sort of got that, how much fun the characters were going to have with it, Hmm. um, you know, it's like, oh, no, this is still funny. Thank God. You know, I can still, like, make it fun. There's ways of doing it.
0: When you first kind of came up with the concept, like, I mean, did you kind of have almost like a story bible on what the full origin of the character would have been and and kind of gave yourself kind of room to move with it or did you kind of go with it with the first book and then with a general outline or like how did that kind of come about because again there is you're really developing a rich history with the characters as we get deeper in each book and the in the history of Hilo and where he comes from but how much of that did you know when you kind of started with book 1
1: I knew 100% where this story was Going, this first big arc was going to end. I know how it ends. I know the, you know, the the Harry Potter to Voldemort, the the Hilo to Razor Work relationship battle. I know how this ends, and that was something I knew from the beginning and what I was aiming towards. And I also knew who Hilo was and what he did and how. Like I, you know, that part I knew. And I'll be honest with you, calling it like a Bible um, makes it even seem too formal. Like I just I knew the story. It's it's there in my head, and I know what I'm doing. Now with that. A lot of the middle changes uh, uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, it, it's I mean, it's a story I tell when I go to schools. I talk to kids about doing a first draft and a second draft. I mean, kids call when your son gets old enough. You, they now call first draft your sloppy copy, which <laughs> I love. I just love. my, my children taught me that. It's so like they say, yeah, no, your sloppy copy. Like you call it sloppy copy. That's awesome because that's what it is. Yes. <laughs> um, so when I was working on the second book, I had this idea for um, introducing a new character who's going to be this, this little girl who's a sorceress. And I thought, and for those who haven't read the series, you, you're going to get totally lost for about the next minute or two. So just hang in there. We'll get, we'll get back more generally pretty soon. Um, so I, I, I had this little girl who was going to be a witch and she was going like, to come from a different planet. She would fall through a portal and join up with the gang and I thought maybe DJ would have a crush on her and she'd have a crush on DJ and Gina would get jealous and something like that. And as I started writing the story, it just really wasn't working out. I just didn't I just didn't like it. I wasn't finding the fun of it. It seemed really just too cliched and trite. I didn't like the idea of the characters having crushes. Hmm. All the while, while this was going on, my daughter, who was about um, five or six at the time kept bugging me that Daddy, you should put a cat in the book. It's like, okay, I'll put a cat in the book. Like, no, no, Daddy, you'd be really good if you put a cat in the book. It's like, yeah, I'll I'll do that. And then she sort <laughs> of smelled what I was doing. Like, no, not not just like a, a cat that's in the background, like somebody's pet. It should be important. An important cat should be a member of the you know member of the book, an important character. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And all the while, I'm still trying to work out, like, how does a sorceress girl, like, work? Like, you know, I just can't get it to work. And then the ideas merged. And it's like, wait, what if the sorceress girl was an anthropomorphic cat? What if she's a talking cat? It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And it's like, yeah, and I can ditch the whole crush thing because she's a cat and having a crush on DJs is just weird because they're, like, she's a cat. He's a human being. It's gross. We're not going to do that. And, you know, that, that character wound up being Polly. Um, who's you know this small, fierce, loud, magical sorceress, Scottish cat, um, who totally changed everything. Her being <laughs> in the book, like she not only did she become part of the book, you know with the with the sorceress girl, she was supposed to be one and done. I wasn't going to bring her out of the second book, but when she became Polly, I fell in love with the character. It mm-hmm. uh, gave me so much more to do, and actually, it fed a huge chunk of the story where who she is and where she's from. And what she can do is actually feeding the A storyline with Hilo a little bit later. All this will make sense when the, you know when I finish up the arc. But she went from being just like a subordinate character who's going to be a guest star and then go away to someone who became basically sort of part of this holo mythology. Um, and that was just because you know my daughter kept asking me to put a cat in the book. Um, so that, that, was, that was part of the middle, the, the, you know, the part that just got in there. Um, it didn't change where it ended, but it changed just the route. So I, I often tell grown-ups and, ad, and, and kids about when it comes to storytelling, know your ending and really love it because the middle will change. But if you know where you're going, you're definitely you – know, you're going to finish that sloppy copy. You're going to get it done. <laughs> you know, you'll get that one done then you can go back and fix it later. So that's an incredibly long answer for, you know, did I have an idea where it was going? Like, yeah, sure did.
0: I have a question about Polly. So Polly is um, like a, a great character, but what made you decide to make her Scottish?
1: That's just what she sounds like in my head. It's, <laughs> I don't have a good answer. I just, I think people who are, um, I love, I love Scottish people. I really do. When, uh, I did, I did an animated series called, uh, Life in Times of Juniper Lee mm-hmm. and, um, Juniper's sidekick was a was a pug who was supposed to be 800 years old and um, in, I mean, real short stories that juniper fights monsters and she comes from a long line of members of her family who fights monsters and this dog's been around the whole time like he goes from one to the other to the other and anyway he sounded Scottish um, I wanted I, you know my, my dream casting was the comedian Billy Connolly um, <laughs> who you know that was like a big joke it wound up being that. Carlos L. Rocky, who's a comedian and like voiceover genius, like it's like, Can you do Billy Connolly? Like, yeah, I can do Billy Connolly. Is it good? Does it work for you? It's like, Yep, that's it. Thank you. Do that. So, all sort of, I don't know, cute, furry, loud, angry animals for me just sound Scottish, I guess. <laughs>
0: that's awesome. Uh, so, I'll, I'll move away from Hilo for a second because um, I'm also a big fan of your comic book work and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it. Um, no. I also have some listener questions as well that were submitted and I guess one I'll kind of go with is uh, I guess how did you your entry into the comic book industry as we know it? how did that kind of come about and was that always kind of the goal? Or, um...
1: No, it wasn't the goal. it was it was a it was a happy accident. Um, the The short version, um, I met Bob Shrek. Uh, who, um, for those who don't know, is um, has been an editor in comics for, I want to say 30 years, but maybe it was longer than that. And Bob started off Dark Horse. He was Frank Miller's um, editor on many, many, many projects. And um, this, I, I guess, uh, at the time, I guess it was like 96, 97. Um, and Bob had just founded Oni Press, his mm-hmm. own independent comic company. And... Um, Kevin Smith was going to kick it off and he did his Clerks comics through Oni and I met Bob at the San Diego Comic Convention. Um, And we just got to talking about stuff and um, I was actually walking around with ash cans on my my comic strip. Um, And Bob took it, liked it, you know, and said, you know what? Hey, do you want to do like a one-pager for us? We're doing this thing called Oni Double Feature. It's an anthology and, you know, we have like one-page comics on the inside cover. And that was my first time doing an official... Chunk of a comic book While this was going on I was working on a graphic novel uh, Called Pedro Amé Which was about my experiences um, On the real world Uh, For those playing at home 23 years ago I was on MTV's Real World San Francisco And my castmate was a young man Named Pedro Zamora Who was a 22 year old AIDS educator and activist Um, Pedro passed away Just a few months after we finished Filming the show Um, So after a couple years I did I did a book and you know, it took me actually like three years. And I did a graphic novel about him. Um, Bob was one of the first people who read it and who told me like, yeah, go with a mainstream publisher. If you can't get published, then we'll, we'll publish it here at ONI. But <laughs> go find a mainstream publisher. And we did um, and uh, jump ahead to Shrek getting a job at DC Comics as an editor. They hired him because they wanted some fresh independent comic blood at DC. And uh, then Bob was the editor of Green Lantern. And then he called me. So I think that mostly, I mean, it entirely had to do with knowing Bob. And um, I mean, Bob actually had this question, had this conversation with me. Like, so listen, do you like superhero comics? It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like yeah. It's like, so you're you're a fanboy. Like, he I don't know this because we've never talked about it. He said, I know you read the indie stuff and you're versed on that, but what about superheroes? Like, man, I've read my entire life. And like, we rattled through it, like, you know. I've read, you know, this is what I love. I grew up on Burn and Claremont, and I said, you know, as a huge Neil Adams, you know, Green Arrow, Green Lantern fan, and like, you know, just he's like, oh yeah, okay, when, like we talked about that. He's like, all right, I want, I want you to write Green Lantern. It's like, okay, how do I do that? He said, <laughs> he said, he said, well, you're gonna write, you're gonna write a couple of scripts, write me a couple of issues. And mean, basically said like, write two scripts and we're gonna do it on spec. I'm gonna show it to uh, Mike Carlin. I think you can do it. So I'm not gonna give you any help. Just go ahead and do it. And he did, he just basically like showed me the formats and said, go ahead and do it, and um, went to Carlin and Carlin said this thought it was great, and uh, Carlin said well, yeah let's do six issues, you know if he if he flames out then we'll you know then that that's it and thank you very much if he keeps going he keeps going, and that was it. I started off um, doing you know like I think a fill in or two here and there, and then uh, went to writing Green Lantern monthly. It was basically on the back of. Shrek felt comfortable enough that reading a 200 plus page graphic novel that I wrote, that you know, and talking to me about it and talking to other people about it, that I could handle doing superheroes. So I did jump in feet first doing, um, you know, I will I will argue to anyone a B a B level <laughs> uh, superhero book at DC um, it was Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern, but you know that's that's how I got in there. That's how it began. I've been, you know, I've read superhero comics my entire life, and I never ever thought I would ever be writing them. Um, but I actually didn't think of myself anything beyond doing comic strips until, you know, until I did the graphic novel page me For mm-hmm. me, that sort of showed me that the kind of stories I want to tell—that's where it really began.
0: Hmm. With Green Lantern, I mean. So is Kylo is going to be kind of an important person, like character to you, because of? I mean, that was your your foray into, into actual superhero comics. Like he was the one.
1: Um, I I had read. I really liked Kyle Rayner. I, I mean, I was reading that all. I mean, I that was. Um, I wouldn't say prime reading, but I was a Green Lantern fan who was reading the book, and you know, I read all through Hal Jordan through through you know when he lost his cookies and became <laughs> Parallax, and Kyle Rayner became Green Lantern. I thought that was fun. I mean, I really you know. Uh, and forgive me for fans who like I'm seeing something tragic and, and saying that It's fun, I just thought it made for a great story um, And Kyle Rayner um, When I came on board um, Looking back now He's a kid, at the time we were kind of The same age, so I saw Kyle as a 20-something And he was actually a commercial artist So I nudged him in the direction Of being more of an illustrator and cartoonist Because I thought it would be fun for him to have a You know, have a job And I I liked, I liked that idea about superheroes them. I mean, there's the X-Men who are just the X-Men 24-7. In the DC universe, people have, you know, they're kind of J-O-Bs and I sort of liked, I liked the Peter Parker aspect of it. So I liked him having kind of a regular job and a personal life on top of being a superhero. I don't know if I would do that now because, you know, times change and things evolve. Um, but at the time it was a good story for me to write a guy who had a, you know. you know, had a secret identity and a life outside of trying to save the world with a magic ring. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, in and around the same time, so I'm, I'm always intrigued by how, how paths kind of cross. So you start getting the gig writing Green Lantern, and then not long after, you start writing Exiles for Marvel. And I'm kind yeah. of curious, curious how that came about.
1: That, they just called me. <laughs> 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 it's, it's just one of those things. It's just, you know, um, you know, Green Lantern was doing well. People were taking interest, and they had... Um, they had this idea. I mean, the folks at Marvel had the idea of doing Exiles. This loose idea that um, I think it was called Millennium, Millennial Visions or something. They basically had a um, they had a they had a comic that came out was just a which was just a pinup book mm-hmm. where they asked artists to come up with alternate versions of the X Men and other Marvel characters. But I want to say it was mostly the X Men. So so guys and gals were just drawing crazy teams they came up with or I don't know. You know, what if they're all alligators and whack and do things like that? But throughout the book, there were, forgive me, like really interesting characters. They weren't all great because I think some of them were just goofing around. But they uh, they had this idea that Blink would be the leader of the team or part of the team, and um, you know, the rest I should pick cherry pick from this pinup book, uh, which I did for some of it, and the rest I sort of just made up. like I think I, I think I wound up just taking Nocturne. She might be the only one from the book. I think the rest I made up. Hmm. But um, you know, and then I you know took a little bit from Sliders and Quantum Leap, and um, that's why I pitched them. The idea is like, what if we do it like a like a what if that's a monthly, but with, with a team? And they go, oh, that sounds like fun. I go, yeah, I think it is. I think it'll be like really kind of nuts for you know new fans and old fans because I'll I'll just have our characters walk into you know. You know, stuff from the Marvel Universe, but we just turn it on its head. Um, You know, what if Phoenix killed everybody? What if, you know, what if the brood actually took over the X-Men? What if, you know, and any wacky thing I could think of. Um, And uh, I had a blast. And I was working with Mike McCone, who's a genius, and Mike Mike is a terrific, terrific storyteller, and he's funny, which sometimes doesn't happen. <laughs> a lot, a lot of guys and gals, when they draw, they, they're just not funny. Mike's funny, and he got it. I think part of the heart and soul of the book was how funny Morph was, mm. um, and really sort of got that he, uh, you know, was a little bit like Plastic Man, but not exactly. And um, it was a really terrific book for me to start out on because I, I, I could do pretty much anything I wanted, and. Um, you know, I got to play with characters I was I was loved when I was a kid. I was intrigued by Mimic, which I'd only read a little bit of when I was, uh, you know, uh, you know, when I was a kid because he wasn't you know, around too much. For those playing at home, I don't even know if Mimic is still around in the Marvel Universe, but he was a, he was an early X Men character who could um, he could mimic and copy uh, other people's powers, and at one point he copied all of the powers of the original X Men. So, I always thought that was really cool and how cool it would be eventually to. Like, wouldn't it be neat if you could do it with the quote unquote new X Men, who aren't new anymore? Um, (laughs) So, like that, things like that. So, it gave me, like, this whole toy chest to play with, which is a great way to start out. It was a great. It was the only book that I walked away from when I wasn't done. I still had more in me, but but I got an exclusive contract with DC, and one of the rules was you can't do both. That's fair. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was. I even asked, like, can I keep running Exiles? And it's like, no, that would mean you're not exclusive. I said, I know, I won't do any other books, but can I get, like, just... (laughs) And it was really, like, if it was anybody but Marvel, we'd talk about it. But nope, 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 nope. And it's like, we like Exiles, too, but no, you work for us. Got it. Understood. All right.
0: When you were... So when you first launched Exiles, did you... I mean, you may not really have the answer for it, but did you guys have a sense of, you know, how long of an issue commitment you might have, or when this might... Like, how long it might go? Like, when you were kind of planning it out, because first few uh arcs were kind of really tight concise like two issues here one issue here two issues there there wasn't kind of longer form storytelling which is starting to kind of take hold of that time was it you guys not really knowing if you would continue that long
1: no i i had originally pitched the idea is that they would go on these short little missions i, I like the idea that um we might carry you know a mission would take two issues you know or maybe three and uh and some of it was that um You know, Mike McComb can only draw so quickly, so we would go back and forth. Um, But I also like the idea of wrapping them up, you know, because that's it was sort of the nature of it. But I at the time that I was leaving, I was toying around with the idea that we have done these short adventures long enough that maybe I take on the idea that they're stuck someplace for a year, Um, just because kind of the novelty of coming up with these sort of what if ideas um, was getting a little bit stale, and I thought. let me shake it up a little bit and try to, you know, dig in on the characters and have them get stuck somewhere for a while. Um, so and the, it was it was just purely – that was how I set it out to them. And um, I, at the time, um, you know, Marvel couldn't have been more amenable to just about anything. I mean it was, it was a really – it was a fun and interesting time. Things were a little bit looser, mm-hmm. um, right down to – hey would it be okay if this goes 25 pages like yeah just shave a shave a page off the next book like got it okay you know yeah i mean little things like that or even like you know do i shave a page off this one like no you know what we're one we're one ad page shy so you can use that page go ahead you know it's just (laughs) and those might not seem like a big deal but you know now things are are are, are way more rigid um i mean i i haven't been in superhero comics for a couple years so i don't know things things could be a little different now but um it was just a little more loosey-goosey, and it was a little it was a little more fun um, in that, in the storytelling. We could, like, mess around a whole bunch.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, a question, actually, my brother-in-law, who's a big fan of XL's, had was um, he was curious that with, you know, the kind of Blank, Morph, and Mimic, were they always kind of intended to be your, your main characters, or was were you always kind of thinking that I might kill them off to kind of keep the, the stakes high? I mean, in the first year, you lose a couple members, so you had this feeling that anyone could die. Did the right. success of the book ma- maintain their survival then?
1: Um, yes and no. I think um, – I like the idea of keeping everyone on their toes. I think at one point Blink did disappear. I, I, honestly, that's he the did. funny thing about – yeah, the funny thing about fans they ask you questions about books that you might have written a decade earlier. And it's like I have to be honest with you. I don't remember because <laughs> – you know, I, I wrote it and maybe I read it maybe once or twice after that, but I haven't reread it in a long time. And I, I, I you know, you know, it's I mean, I'm not comparing myself to I'm going to compare myself to George Harrison there. I'm doing it. OK, <laughs> so there was a funny bit in in, in the Beatles, uh, in the Beatles documentary, the massive one they did, where they're George and Paul and uh, George Martin are there at the soundboard and they're listening to um some Beatles cuts and like George Martin is bringing up horns on this or that. And, uh, (laughs) and I think they're listening to a got to get you into my life. And, uh, um, you know, George Harrison's like, was this on a magical mystery tour? Which is, I guess, I guess, no, it's revolver. It's like, yes. And Paul McCartney's joking, like, yes, George Harrison, beatophile. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) and I thought about like, "Well, well, Of course George Harrison Doesn't sit around And listen to Beatles albums He doesn't know He doesn't know Like that was his life He recorded recorded them And moved on He just Mm -hmm. didn't do that So Similarly um, I've been reading Some of my own stuff Because now my son is 12 And he's begun reading Some of my own stuff So I'll reread it now And again I'll have moments Where it's like I I totally don't remember Doing this Um, Okay so that's it Um, Yeah Blink and Morph And Mimic Were the core characters And I loved them, and uh, I wanted to hang on to them. So they were probably going to carry on throughout. Um, What happened beyond that, I don't know. I think I would have done things where I tend to mix it up. I don't mind breaking the toys. I've never had a problem with that. makes a lot of readers a little bit crazy, because I don't mind doing flawed characters. I don't mind things going bad for them. It's always something that I felt makes for a good story. Not all fans agree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I... So you just mentioned obviously that you know you, you won't remember everything so I apologize in advance for this question. Um, no, I'm sorry. but uh there's an I guess in the first year and a half of Exiles, uh story you wrote uh, Nocturne and Evan, Evan's song um where Nocturne has basically has a miscarriage and right. loses the baby and that was I mean I was I was I don't know 17 18 years old when I read that for the first time but that was it still is a very emotionally impactful issue. I mean, the, you, you packed so much emotion into this, you know, this superhero soap opera of these characters going to different realities and, you know, it's such a high concept, you know, fun sci-fi thing, but you really grounded it with a real human experience. I mean, even the, when you first found out that Thunderbird and Nocturne even had a relationship, that kind of hit hard. And then when you had her lose the baby, that was exceptionally difficult. And I read that now very different because, you know, in... My old now in my life I've you know I I've had miscarriages in my family and now it actually hurts more. But it, it's it's such a real emotion and it really I just always wanted to thank you for how beautifully written it was because it felt so authentic and or, it felt like a real person going through it and not just a superhero comic.
1: Oh, thank you. I I yes, I do remember that one and I do I did love that. Um, it is one of the things that I I really loved about superhero comics is when. Um, you can find the real human emotion, the real, you know, the real stuff. Because it's, you know, like, pull, pull back for a second at, at what we're, we're talking about here. So we're talking about the relationship between Nocturne, who's a, you know, a blue-skinned, dreadlocked mutant whose mom is a scarlet witch and dad is Nightcrawler. And then there's Thunderbird, who's this mutated horseman of the... Apocalypse, and like you know, there it's you know, he's a monster, she looks like some you know, some some crazed elf. I mean, it's you know, it's it's all nuts. So, <laughs> once you take all that, and you know, for comic fans, that we always are able to look past that and find the most human and honest and emotional stuff uh, when you can actually deliver the goods, it's still like you know, we'll call it like this is a big, dumb superhero story, but once you get in there and you know, find out who they are and actually start treating them like real characters, then something really incredible happens. It's, it's, that's, that, that. For me, it was always my best work. It's the stuff that when I look back and read it, like, oh, okay, that's nice. I did a nice job there. I like that. Mm-hmm. So that one sticks out to me still.
0: Well, oh, and obviously it made an impact on me. Um, so you mentioned before, so you, had to, you ended up leaving Exiles because of the DC exclusive. What was that experience like, being offered an exclusive at DC Comics?
1: Oh, it was so much fun. It was it was me and Jeff Johns, and uh, it's when Dan De I think Dan came up with the idea of exclusivity. I think I think. Um you know, it was, it was, it was right. Like I, Jeff and I were, I think were like the first guys signed to DC exclusively and pretty much it happened like within a week or two, like, like, you know, Jeff and I got to talk about it. It happened at the same time. We were both working on stuff and it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, they were going to let us finish up our Marvel books and come over there. And what simply was, it was just, um, it was incredibly flattering. It gave us, um, you know, a huge sense of security, uh, you know, and, um, that, you know, here, you can make a home here. You're not, although you're still a freelancer, so to speak, um, that, you know, you, but this is your company, you work here and we're going to make sure you have X amount of books to work on. And, um, it's about a confidence. You became part of the team and that was fun. And with that, you know, Jeff and I, you know, comfortably came like kind of, you know, background architects of what was going to happen at DC for a little while, um, you know, Jeff has now become the architect of DC and continued on. Um, but that was, it, it, it happened really super organically. I can't even begin to tell you how much that was just, it sort of just happened sort of accidentally. Dan had this idea about bringing us in uh, and write books just for them and also, you know, flesh, flesh out the rest of the, of the DCU with us and, and, and Greg Rucka and a few other folks here and there. Um, and it was fun. It was, it, was really, it was a really good time. It allowed me everything. I was allowed to do – write and draw my independent comics. I was allowed to do Bar- Barry Lean while I was you know, writing superhero comics. I was writing superhero comics. It was so fun and stupid. I mean the way that like – I can't believe this. I'm going to write – You know, here I am writing these characters. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting words in Batman's mouth. Holy crap. I can't believe this. Um, not that it wasn't challenging but it was a blast. It was a total blast
0: what uh is there a specific character that you had to kind of give yourself more of a like whoa am i really doing this type of thing like which character for you was that the biggest kind of reaction that i can't believe i get the right you know words for this character
1: um it was probably you know it was it was a it was a two-pronged attack both from marvel and dc that you know um, I mean the thing is pointed out that I got to, You know that like, you've got to put Wolverine in the first Three arcs it's like yep It's like and Hulk popped up a lot like sure Did <laughs> it's, it's Like these are characters that I love That I wanted to write and then when I was doing Green Lantern um, When I finally got to stick Superman and Batman In there um, it's Like it's the greatest you know it's like I'm actually Putting words in Batman's mouth I think Batman was the most exciting for me uh, With DC Comics Um you know, and and uh, you know, by the time I was actually writing the monthly, um, you know, I, it, it couldn't have been more exciting. Um, you know, it still is. I mean, if if it ever doesn't become exciting, that's when you should go. Hmm. That's not that's not why I stopped writing superhero comics. But it's it's um, I'm lucky that I left with, you know, we'll say not money on the table, but still my heart on the table. That I still really enjoyed it, and it was a good time to leave before it ever became. Anything approaching, well, drudgery, or in fact, I had to look at it as work. um, Completely, you know, it was it was still exciting to me even when I left.
0: What um, uh, what was it like? uh, You mentioned kind of that you you started becoming part of the the brain trust at that time uh, for all their kind of future plans at DC. What was it like, kind of working on Countdown to Infinite Crisis um, with you know the rest of the um, creative team?
1: It was a blast. Again, it was like a really, it was a really kind of organic process that's got us there. It it has everything to do with Dandy. Sorry? It's okay. I'll wait.
0: Obviously, that's, that's, it's really just me being upset that Blue Beetle was killed off.
1: <laughs> uh, the first time through, that wasn't my idea. Second time through was totally my idea. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, it was all Dan. I mean, Dan Dan had this crazy idea that he wanted to do something big, and he gathered up. Um, uh, it was me, Jeff Johns, and Greg Rucka, uh, and he, he we, we occupied like an office at I think it was the Warner Brothers. I think we were on the lot. I think he wanted us to come to the lot because it was going to be fun. Okay. He wanted us to feel like you know, like come. We'll go to the Warner Brothers lot, and we just you know, had like a big office uh, that was empty at the time, and dan had these huge those those oversized post-its um i mean literally like they're like you know like 25 by 25 you know you stick up on a wall it was before we had because i think he didn't want like a dry erase board where we would lose things Mm. so we would write, and we just like and for for three days we hatched out the ideas that would become uh crisis and then later countdown um and it was fun. You know, we, we spent all day working on it. Then we go to lunch and talk about some more and then come back and work on some more and then go out that night and, you know, have a few drinks and then get really worked up about an idea. Like, OK, then I cracked it. Oh, no, that's a better idea. Let's do that. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, that's what it should be. You know, even when you're playing with the big toys, it should be fun. And sometimes doing those big plans, you, you do need like a big sink where you get in there. Um, Dan, Dan comes from comes from TV. So he had the experience of knowing what it is like to break an entire season of um, of episodes, and that's what he kind of wanted to do for this, and that's what it felt like. And then later, when you know, any number of DC writers went on to do stuff here and there in writers' rooms. Um, doing your ten thousand hours on superhero comics is very, very helpful.
0: Now I have to ask: So you, you know, you wrote the the Batman under the Red Hood story. Um, yeah. Which was it still holds up as an exceptionally well done and well paced story, um, and you, you officially got to bring Jason Todd back. What was that experience like? Because that's kind of that's a big deal, especially when it happened.
1: Oh yeah, no, it was. Um, well, I'd gotten the idea because I th- I had thought Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee did it. Um, for those playing at home in in in. Uh, In Batman, written by Jeff Loeb and illustrated by Jim Lee, they have an appearance where Hush, who's this secretive character with bandages all over his face, um, (laughs) is revealed to be Jason Todd. And when I read that, I thought like, oh, that's the greatest idea. That's the greatest idea. I could totally see it. It's It's like 100 miles of bad road. It's so great. He comes back as like it's like yeah it's everything it's like you know Batman's greatest mistake has come back to haunt him in a real way God it's great and then the next issue they reveal was just Clayface it's like oh <laughs> that's, dis- that's disappointing um, you know it's like I really want to see that story so when uh, you know Dan had reached out to me and said hey sometime next year I'd love for you to take over Batman and I understood like yes totally he said okay start think of stuff kick it around, I'm thinking about this or then, you know, like time-wise, then we'll talk about it. And we actually talked about it over breakfast. I think it was at the San, it was, it was at the San Diego Comic-Con. Dan and I just had like a long breakfast. And he said, what would you have in mind? And I said, I actually want to bring Jason Todd back. He said, okay. And I'm going to ruin the ending. If you haven't read Under the Red Hood or seen the animated movie we made about it, <laughs> shut this off now and come back in 30 seconds. Um huh. I told Dan like my basic idea for the story and um, how it's like a big, like a, how it's an opera. How it's you know it is Batman's worst mistake has come back to haunt him in a real way. But at the heart of the story, it wasn't about Jason and Todd coming back to seek revenge for letting Batman let him get killed. It wasn't about that. It wasn't that you let me die. It was that you let Joker live, and that you this this wasn't enough for you even to kill him. Him killing me wasn't even enough. And uh, when I told Dan about that, he's like, oh, is that the ending? I go, yeah. He goes, oh, write that. That's, yeah. I said, <laughs> you know what? He goes, I don't need to hear anything else. If that's, yeah, that's great. Once again, plan your ending. Because everything else after that, it was like, yeah. It was like two years of knocking around with fun stuff that was leading to this big confrontation at the end, which was that. Um, so I like the idea. And I'm, I'm very, very proud that the story seems to have had legs. And that Jason Todd as a character, and Red Hood as his persona, has hung in. You know, hung in there. You know, if that winds up being my only superhero legacy, I'm totally okay with that. It's a good <laughs> story. I'm happy with it.
0: What did you think of the the uh, animated adaptation of it?
1: I was happy with it. I mean, you know, I I, I pitched it to them around. I knew uh, I knew DC Animation was hunting around for another Batman feature. Um, and this was right on the heels of Dark Knight, meaning Chris Nolan's Dark Knight with Christian Bell and Heath Ledger. And I said, oh, screw it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch them Red Hood. And, um, you know, speaking out of turn, uh, uh, um, Bruce Tim told me later when I pitched it. Uh, he told me later, it's after we're doing it, where actually the movie's going to happen. He said, I, I guess when I heard you were coming in to pitch this, it's like, yeah, this is no go. It's not happening. So we're not going to do this. And his whole thing was like, how do you possibly explain all of Jason Todd's death, which is death in the family? Like, how do you explain the, like a year's worth of comics to just get this one? He said, we have to do an entire movie to get Jason to get killed by Joker. And um, what I explained was that we do it in the teaser. <laughs> like, like all that matters is that Jason dies. I just, you know, I basically set the scene where Joker kills Jason um, in the first three minutes of the movie. Then we cut to black and come back five years later and after that Bruce said like after that I was barely listening I didn't care it's like oh we're going to do this it's great let's do this um, so yeah I was thrilled because I got you know I pitched it I got to write it um, I thought it came out great I thought the voice cast was terrific um, I thought the direction was wonderful I mean it's a really it's just there's if to use all the wrong language it's just a tight little piece of business it was fun <laughs> because I got to take two years of comics and just boil it down to the cool stuff Just I'm just gonna do the cool stuff that was in the comics. Literally like the cool scenes, the great moments, just cobble it all together and we go instead of having to go from like A to Z, it's like I'm just I'm just going from A to M to Z. Boom, 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 and it's gonna be you know, it's gonna be fun. I was thrilled how it came out.
0: Um well, it, as I said, it still holds. I mean, the the, the animated series, the, um, the animated movie is fantastic. And I remember I showed it to my wife, who'd never read the comics, and she was, you know, it, it got it got you up to speed really fast. Like I, I think you guys did a, an excellent job of being able to be like, he died. Let's move on. Let's actually do the story. Uh, you don't need a backstory of Jason Todd. Just need to know that uh, Robin died. Like it's enough. Um, yeah,
1: and that was that was. For me it was like kind of a simple nut to crack. It's like we don't really need to know all this weirdness. It's just all they need is like Joker killed him and you know. And for all the fans, like, you know, we kept keeping the cool stuff. He you know, cool stuff, the cruel stuff. He beat him to <laughs> death with a crowbar and the building blew up. That's that's pretty much it. After that, you know, what else do you need to know? Um and getting to write getting to write Joker and Batman and Jason Todd and that what it was great. It was so much fun. It was really it was it was a blast. No. Joker's like still the most fun to to, to write. And to actually have him come to life in that kind of way, animated and talking, and someone you know being funny and cruel—it's just, it's just great. It's great fun.
0: Now, in and around this time, so you're, when you're doing your exclusive, did you choose Green Arrow, or did they offer it to you?
1: Um, it, uh, yes, no. I think the way it was, it was working. I mean, the way Green Arrow—don't forget. So, this, so a million years ago when this was happening, so Green Arrow was dead. Uh, writer-director Kevin Smith after writing a bunch of comics like Daredevil for for Marvel and his own Clerks comics for Oni Press um, Shrek came to DC and um, Kevin wanted to bring Green Arrow back to life which he did and uh, Kevin was I think he did two years like he did a really long two years on it and then he was then he was going to leave and Bob Shrek came to me and said he said, so listen, I want you to do Green Arrow. It's like great. He said, but you can't follow Kevin because they'll kill you. It's like okay. <laughs>
0: it's
1: like yeah, you try to follow Kevin, it'll they'll kill you. He said. I I said I think we need. I'm quoting Bob like we need some kind of mystery meat to go in between. Um, he said. I de- it definitely I want you to take over the monthly. I think you, I think you've done your run on Green Lantern. So start planning on coming in here. But and that's when he asked um, about my He said, Do you think? Uh, you know, your friend Brad Meltzer would be interested in writing Green Arrow. And I tell Bob, said, I think he's waited his whole life for someone to ask that. He goes, No, no, really. Go, no, no, really. This is his character. This is his favorite character. Um, so I put Bob and, and Brad together, and then Brad wrote Green Arrow for a year, and then I was going to follow that. Um, so a lot of it, I mean, a lot of this stuff is about relationships, and a lot of it is about. Yeah, meaning the making making of comics, um, and it should be because it isn't. You know, for for all the business that goes on, this is about telling stories and trying to tell stories as best you can. And there's a lot of emotion to it. So um, I don't. I've never really worked with people I don't like. It's never happened, um, especially with superhero comics. These are always people that um, are my friends and who I trust. And even if they don't like what I'm doing. Um, we should be able to talk about it um like i don't think this is a good arc for this reason but if you want to do it you go ahead and do it or like no this is like you can't do this it's not working this way we can't go that way or i've got crap news you can't do this like what happens like they're doing this event and superman's gonna be over here so it can't (laughs) be superman it's like that changes like yeah it changes the middle of your story it does you have to figure something else out can' I just like no we talked about it I would just no can't you got to fix it like ah you know <laughs> these things can only happen if you have like an actual relationship with people that you know and trust so um most of my the work that i I got and the best work I did at d c was one because Bob Shrek brought me in there and was my editor and shepherded me through that and later was Dan Dio who um we became good friends and trusted me as a storyteller and wanted my ideas and what I could do and wanted me to be a part of the team. So all those things happen for those reasons.
0: When, um, one thing that, when I read your green arrow run, it's kind of like, uh, you know, pre one year later and post one year later, because there's a huge kind of, obviously there's a, the time gap in the middle, but also you definitely push the story in different directions and tell different types of stories. And I think part of that maybe on the, on the post one year later is because you also have Scott McDaniel joining on art, what was it like working with Scott? And how did you did you kind of start tailoring your scripts to his art style, or how did your collaboration work?
1: No one has to tailor their scripts to to, to Scott McDaniel. He's like he's like unbelievably solid. There's just you know there's really um, he is um, ridiculously fast, a perfect storyteller. I mean, I, I was talking with like I was talking to Ed Brubaker about him um, when Ed was working with him on Batman. And, uh, and he's like so ridiculously solid. There's just no way to put it that, um, whatever you come up with in your head, he's going to be able to draw so well, great acting, great action, really great action. And, um, and it's just really, you know, it's, he's not, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I was about to get all technical, but I won't, um, <laughs> with him, I didn't have to adjust. It was knowing full well that, um, that I was going to take Ollie into, uh, you know, Oliver Queen, Green Arrow into even a more actiony hero, um, avenue than he had been before that he wasn't gonna be a guy who can just be acrobatic and kick butt and shoot arrows like i was like i was giving him a sword uh, and <laughs> it, it 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 seemed like you know like a, a nothing thing but it was sort of like no you know what it's the thing that we don't really tap into very much is that robin hood carries a sword you know he isn't just an archer he's a man who can like you know he can get in there and i think it'd be kind of interesting if we just up the game a bit with ollie so um that was not. That was not. A, I, I knew. I knew he could more than carry that story. Um, it was fun to do. The one year later stuff was great because it was just like let's let's flip the script. Let's knock the table over. Let's do things differently and see where it goes.
0: Well, I think you definitely succeeded. I mean, the the one issue where, you know, uh, Deathstroke and, and Green Arrow just have their, their fight and then in the middle, you it's, it's so well written because of how you have the internal narration of Deathstroke realizing that this isn't the Oliver Queen he's fought before and that he is better trained and he's carrying the sword and all this stuff. It plays out so beautifully because the reader doesn't know to expect it either. Um, the reader is not used to this version of Green Arrow. You've taken him away for a year. You've done things to him. We haven't. We're not privy yet as as the audience, and so we're learning at the same time that this villain is. And it's extremely well paced. And it, again, it doesn't it never hurts when you have Scott McDaniel doing the art either. But I mean, it's again, it, it sings so much as a story because you get to see an Oliver Queen you've never seen before, but it still feels like Oliver Queen.
1: Oh, thank you. I mean, that's that is the goal, and it's supposed to be, you know. It's it's one of those things where, you know, it's like this is going to be a fun reveal, so let's not screw it up. Uh it's, you know, and you know, for for the long-term reader, it's like, yeah, let's let's let it is it is is supposed to be fun and exciting and as we um it's um it's fun because deathstroke is 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 um the reader's way in. Uh, it, you don't usually are in deathstroke's head following along with him as he's discovering things. It's not really the way we usually go. Um so, um, it's another, I mean, it's, I'm very, very proud of that issue too, both in like Scott told a really, really good story and it was just a fun fight. And also I, I enjoyed how much people enjoyed it. And I also enjoyed how enraged people got because like, the, you know, no, he can't beat that stroke. It's like, it's possible. You can't. <laughs> it's like, I know you're saying that, but I, I call it out there. He's like, set this up for months. It's like, but he's the master. I know he's the master strategist, but you know, and there's also calls on the question that like, did he throw the fight? Um, things like that. So, yeah, I I mean, I spent, I spent five years writing Green Arrow. Um, and, uh, it's the longest I've ever written like, you know, pretty much anything. Um, you know, except for what's going to wind up being Hilo, which could be for the rest of my life. I don't know. Um, but I spent a long time with the character. I mean, so much so that, um, I was talking to DC a smidge or just around the time when I was, I was about to leave they wanted enough I wanted to come back to Green Arrow and uh, I had to walk around with that for a couple of days you know it's so a new Green Arrow young guy this you know and um, I think what uh, I think what would I, I had to well no I walked away mostly because I just wanted to write and draw my own stuff again and the thing that kept me thinking about it more was the idea of doing characters like that that I love you know it's still you know still get to play with the toy box and uh, getting to look at Green Arrow in an entirely new way. Um, my first thought of doing that, like, no, I already looked at him in an entirely new way. When I started writing him and then at the midway point, like, try to reinvent the character a couple times. Like, why not reinvent him one more time? Yeah, let's do it. Come on, kids. Let's put on a show. Uh, <laughs> but also knowing that, like, nah, you know what? No, I'm going to do this now. Like, it's, it's, it's time. It's time to do this.
0: All right, I'm gonna have a lightning round because I know you have to go, but I have a few listener sure. questions I wanted to pepper through, and we'll try and do them quickly. Um, Laserbeat asks, uh, "Will we ever see any more Barry Ween? Barry Ween in space, or ni- nice hardcover of Barry Ween?"
1: Um, yeah, I hope to do Barry Ween. I will not lie that for you know, like over a decade now. I've probably been right longer than that. Uh, I've been not fibbing exactly, but I knew in my heart that like, I can do more Barry Ween. Like, yep, knowing that it really wasn't on the horizon. But more Barry Ween now Is probably on the horizon More so than ever before Because I'm writing and drawing again I mean there was a very There was a five year period Where I hadn't hadn't drawn anything And uh, that is the other reason Why I've come back to this And I'm much much happier It took me a long time to realize That I'm actually a cartoonist Um, I can write stuff I can write you know Till the cows come home But I'm much happier And I also think I'm best When I'm writing and drawing My own work Um so now that I've come back to that, and you know I've, you know my, I've got the process down, and there's no longer like a ton of books sitting on top of my drafting table. You know, <laughs> right now on my drafting table is artwork that I'm drawing. Um, so. Uh, even though I might switch to computer in the next year or so. I'm getting more digital. Um, so the faster I go, the more I do. Yeah, I'd love to do Barry Ween. And after doing low for a while, I'm sure I'm going to need to scratch all these profanity itches I have. So it, <laughs> it'll happen. It'll happen. Hopefully I can just drop it on people like, boom, there, there, 185 pages of, uh, of Barry Ween. Enjoy. <laughs> Something like that.
0: Uh, next listener question was: uh, What was it like putting together Superman Shazam First Thunder? And did you ever think of doing a sequel for it?
1: Um, Superman Shazam uh, First Thunder is one of my favorite things I've ever done. I mean, honestly, when people ask me what what I'm proudest of, um, I will I will say Pedro on me. I will say Barry Ween, and I will also say First Thunder. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was a story that I really, that I had, I had, again, the ending was in the back of my head for a really, really long time. Um, and once again, I, I pitched the story quickly to Dan DeDio and when I got to the ending, he's like, Oh, we're going to totally do this. It's like, yeah, we are absolutely going to do this. Um, you know, and he loved it and I loved it. Um, and that story still holds up. Um, it was fun. I loved the, I, I loved toying with the idea that, you know, Superman and Captain Marvel meeting for the first time, and also the kind of absurdity that here they are—they're kind of the same superhero, <laughs> big dudes with capes who are incredibly strong and whatnot—and uh, the idea that one of them is actually a little boy. And I like the idea that Superman and and Billy Batson would be friends, you know, or rather, Superman would look after him a little bit. Um, so. I love that story. I think it still holds up. If you've not read it, go find it. I swear to you. I rarely do that, where I say like, "Yeah, read this one. This one's good." <laughs> but it is. Um, as far as a sequel, I don't know. That uh, they can only meet for the first time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, and and, and uh, beyond that, um, you know, I don't know. I did I did pitch um, doing it as a uh, as an animated feature. And um, I think it got shot down because I think they didn't think Captain Marvel had enough juice mm. at the time. Um, I think they wound up making a making short, which I, I did not see, but uh, no, not a sequel, but I had that one story, I had that one really good Superman Captain Marvel story that I'm very proud of.
0: <laughs> uh, Sammy Murky asks, uh, was it your idea to marry Green Arrow and Black Canary or did someone else suggest it and you ran with it?
1: No, it's Dan DeDio's idea. Dan, uh, Dan wanted them to get married and like, I then I said oh that'd be great he goes yeah he said I want to uh, I think that's how it worked. I think we cancelled Green Arrow and then relaunched it as Green Arrow Black Canary that's right yeah and, yeah no and then I just you know I broke the story out about where I saw it going um, and uh, I think the first story arc kind of got screwed because of like some event which got flushed down the toilet, uh, <laughs> there, it's just, I, I'm it's talking totally out of school. There was this whole thing with new gods and the universe. The DCU is get tied into new gods, and it just it wound up not quite coming together. So uh, the, the big ending that I was leading to uh, kind of got flushed down the toilet. And so I think the latter issues kind of suffered story wise, um, but the first issue where they got married which amanda connor drew which was just amazing <laughs> she's so she's so good she's so good i'm so proud of that it was gonna be so it was just so much fun and shocking and great uh and which led into the series which i did with cliff chang which was also i've been blessed with great illustrators people have gone on to do amazing things or you know like amanda were great in the first place and cliff who went from being amazing to being you know amazing and sought after
0: you know uh, a question, if you dis—if you disregard the success of Hilo, is there still a dream project under your belt?
1: It's not an answer that will satisfy anyone. It's not like, oh, no, I want to do a 10-issue Hulk-Wolverine matchup. That I draw. Like I don't have an answer that's like that. It's more about like, yeah, I've got I've got another series in mind that's, you know, that that isn't high low and a couple of standalone books that aren't high-low. But these are all things that I would write and draw, you know. So it isn't it isn't an answer that would satisfy any regular comic fan. I do hope on the horizon, you know, and we will have talks in the upcoming year about um, you know, Hilo going to, you know, Hilo as a movie or Hilo as a TV show. And those discussions will happen in the upcoming year. Um, you know, and we'll see. And that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be especially fun because my kids are still young enough that they'll go bananas to have that stuff happen. You know, so, there's no bigger Hilo fans than them.
0: I was, so, going, I was actually going to ask, like, I, I, I hadn't even thought to ask, do they like it? Because.
1: Yeah, and, they love it. No, okay. they're, they love it and they're totally invested. And, um, you know, um, I'm famous among their friends, and that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they they like that. They they. <laughs> I, there's no other. There's no you know modest way of saying it, but my children are proud, and I can't. I'm gonna say this without getting choked up. I'm I'm gonna I'm saying that I'm gonna get through this without getting choked up. Uh, but there is really. Nothing better than having your own children be proud of, of you and want to brag about you a little bit and, um, you know, be involved the way they are. I go to their school and, uh, you know, their friends or kids that they barely know want to come up and talk to me about Hilo. <laughs> and that's a big buzz for me, but it's a buzz for them, too. But I like how it's a buzz for them. It's just the greatest. It's I can't even tell you. It's better than drugs. It really, <laughs> really is.
0: Well, I have to ask a follow up to earlier though. So, sure. does your son prefer bone to Hilo? Though,
1: no, he loves <laughs> Hilo much more. You know, and, I should and hope that's so. Okay, you know, and, and and Jeff Smith knows that it's only proper. Uh, he <laughs> loves them both differently. It's you know, Hilo he has ownership of, and, and not just my son, my daughter too, who you know also takes partic- particular pride in Polly, um, who she helped give birth to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're This, you know, I've been doing. Hilo, I guess, for about five years now. From, I mean, the book, the first book, only came out like two and a half years ago, but um, it's been it's been in this house for like four or five years, I guess. Um, so they've grown up with it, and um, you know, they they got to see it actually become a thing. You know, uh, they were old enough. Um, you know, both, I guess, when it first came out, you know, about. My, you know, but my son was about 10 my daughter was about uh, about seven so more you know like just the exact age that the readers are those are that's middle grade readers so they were there they got to do fun stuff like hey we're gonna have a book event where people are to come and I'm gonna talk about it and give this little talk and uh, and then go to a book signing and here I am downstairs drawing it and you know and uh, they got to live through it and watch it become successful so it's part of their childhood and again it's something I'm very very proud of. You know, it's, um, it's been – I could not have planned it better. <laughs> uh,
0: another question from a, a listener. Uh, he said, after the real world in comics, at what point did you feel like you'd made it and that this would be a successful career for you?
1: I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> 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 it's um, – I, 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 think, I think I'm forever moving the goalposts and that's okay. Um, I, I will say right now is – a time in my career when i'm the i'm the happiest because i'm happy um you know i you know i love my family i love my children i love where we live i love our house i love the studio i work in but i particularly love doing just this i think it's you know as i said at kind of the top of this that I've, i really have feel like i've come full circle and that. um You know, I did my ten thousand hours of storytelling and making up superhero comics, making up superhero comics, Um, and um, I grew up wanting to be a guy who did comic strips, and I did an animated series for kids, and you know, and I've done a bunch of other things, but I think all that sort of fed to doing stories just like this, doing these all ages action adventure stories that I write and draw. Um, This is this is really not just the work I do, this is really who I am. I think doing a comic strip wasn't quite it, because it really didn't scratch the fanboy itch that I always had. (laughs) I really, you know, I, I think when I was doing a comic strip, I was saying, I can't wait till this becomes an animated special so I can tell a longer story. And this is me still, like, reading superhero comics. It's like, well, you know, I think those who read superhero comics and read Hilo can see... You know, all the trappings are there. You know, a buddy of mine, you know, well, plural, buddies of mine will read it. It's like, yeah, you're totally doing a Galactus and Herald thing there, right? Like, yep, <laughs> yep, doing that. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, that's like sort of a Fantastic Four thing. Like, yep, yeah, oh yeah, doing that. And, you know, over here's a little bit of Daredevil and this and that, and, you know, and the story in and, in and of itself is like, you know, really has so much of Superman locked in there, but also a bit of Astro Boy and like all these things. So... This is who I am and this is what I should be doing. This, these are the stories I want to tell and this is the way I want to tell them. Um, I'm very lucky. I, when I was 10 years old, I used to you know, draw pictures while I half-watched television. Now I'm 48 and I draw pictures while I half-watched television. That's, <laughs> that's my job. and uh, It's great. It's a blessing. It really is.
0: I'll close out with two, with, with two quick ones. Um, one is if, if there was a work in your past that you wish you could go back and redo, which one would it be?
1: Oh, none of them. It's it's, and I, I I will give you I'll give you a general answer for any creator doing that. You never answer that one, because you, <laughs> n- you know what? When you go back and you say I'd fix this because that stunk somewhere out there, that's somebody's favorite thing you did. It's true. Like that was the best thing. Are you kidding me? Why would you do that? Why would you say that? Um, I mean, there's there's a million little tiny things that I would always redo. I mean, there's a good is, you know, to, uh, to quote the folks at Pixar, who when they make their movies, they don't say that they finish their movies, they just have to release them. Hmm. You know, you can keep working on it forever. Um, I mean, my buddy Greg Ruckett always said that sometimes it's hard because you have to, uh, you gotta get your first draft published just because that's the nature of comics. Um, I'm not doing that now with Hilo. I get to properly agonize over it. But um, there's a million little things here and there. Um, I probably would have... Um like to continue exiles and finish and, and finish it out rather than have to leave. Um, I think there's a couple of story arcs in every series I've ever been on which got um, you know, that got kicked in the teeth because uh, something happened in the DCU that made us have to change the story halfway. There's all these little things. Uh, but that's the challenge of it. I mean that's when you're working with other people's stories, you know, meaning when you're working, you know, for uh, you know a company that owns these things, those things are going to happen, and your job is to tell those great stories within that little small piece of real estate.
0: Absolutely, um, a fellow podcaster wanted to at least uh, have me mention a comment of his, which was uh, he wanted to say that Pedro and me is one of the most one of the few comics to make him cry, and it was exceptionally moving. Oh, which well, thank you. I also have to agree. Uh, I re- recently reread it, knowing that I was going to be chatting with you, and um, yeah, I. I broke broke down on a on a bus. I was it was exceptionally moving again, even having read it before. So thank you for putting together such a beautiful piece of work.
1: Well, I'm I'm still very, very proud of it. I'm still always happy and relieved and proud that it's still in print. because um, that's what it's supposed to do. It was it was it's odd that it's come to such fruition that um you know, it's been twenty three years from the show and I, I did it because I knew I, I felt at some point the show might not be in reruns anymore and people are not going to be hearing Pedro's story. And this, there has to be a way to keep it out there. And this is the only way I tell stories. So, you know, there was discussions when I was doing it. Like, well, why not do it as a book of prose? It's like, well, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's really not how I tell stories. And this is, this is, this is me. So, and, and again, honestly, it was the first story that I told beyond comic strips. It was the one that taught me that this is, this is the way I want to tell stories so I, I it's one of many things I owe to Pedro. He, he helped me become a storyteller. He really did.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much for, for spending time with us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, as I said, I, I'm a fan of a lot of your work, so it's, it's an immense pleasure to be able to chat with you about it.
1: Thank you, sir. This was amazing, and I, I, I wish we could have done another hour easy.